Well, good morning, sunlight. I know this is who you, isn't who you expected this morning. Uh, Pastor John is under the weather, and uh, we got a call on Thursday evening wondering if we could come and share a little bit from God's Word with you this morning. Boy, it is so good to be back and worship with you this morning. Uh, Linda is with me this morning. Uh, we have many good memories of being your interim pastor on a couple different occasions, and that was a wonderful time for us. Uh, we have found ourselves really busy these days. Uh, we live in Archibald. Uh, we work at the Souter Museum three or four days a week. We really enjoy that. And our uh, church in Archibald is without our senior pastor right now. And so uh, I've been preaching quite a bit at Archibald Evan, but just happened to have this Sunday off. We have another speaker there this morning and, and uh got the call and said, I'd love to do that. So thanks for inviting us to share with you this morning. You know, every day we make choices, don't we? Lots of them. And believe it or not, many of those choices turn around and make us. Every choice I make today impacts my life tomorrow. Let me just say that again. Every decision that I make today impacts my life tomorrow. Anne Frank, the author of The Diary of Anne Frank, says it this way. She says our lives are fashioned by our choices. First we make our choices, then our choices make us. And Stephen Covey also says it well. He says, I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. And so knowing this truth, I believe the Apostle Paul concludes his letter, the book of Philippians, with several right choices that the Lord would want us to make this next week. And the first of those choices is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I want to invite you to open it to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be working our way through the first nine verses of Philippians chapter 4 this morning, learning, hopefully, some of the right choices that God wants us to make this next week as we strive to follow him. Let's begin by reading that first verse there. Paul writes, therefore, my brothers, and we could say my sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And here's the command. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so, right choice number one is this this morning. Instead of retreating in your Christian life, instead of retreating in your witness for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, choose this week to stand firm for him. You know, Paul begins with, I would say, some of the most passionate and intimate words found in the New Testament. He begins by saying, Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, whom I love and long for my joy and my crown. Uh, Paul definitely loves the church in Philippi. Do you see that this morning? He loves the people in this church. Twice in this verse, Paul uses the description beloved or loved. And in the original Greek language, it's the word agape. 
He loves these believers with all his heart. He loves them unconditionally. He also addresses the Philippians as his brothers and sisters. They are fellow members in the body or the family of God. And then he tacks on that he longs to see these brothers and sisters. I'll tell you what, Paul isn't afraid to verbalize his affection for other believers. Do you see that this morning? Can you honestly say this morning that you love your fellow believers here at Sunlight Community Church? I would say there should be some kind of verbal expression of that from time to time here at church. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not the lovey-dovey type. Well, then become such a person. You don't have to say, I love you, or I'm longing for you, <laughs> like Paul did. However, you do need to maybe verbally stretch yourself a little bit today and communicate your care to one another. Then Paul also calls the Philippians, do you see it in this verse, his joy and crown. These believers are a present source of joy for the Apostle Paul while he's in prison in Rome. But even more than that, they are his future crown when he stands before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, Paul led these early believers in Philippi to faith in Jesus Christ. He planted that church. So they were his joy and his crown someday in heaven. And then he comes to the command. He raises a call in this verse. A call to stand firm in the Lord. And so instead of retreating, Paul says, or cowering in the midst of rejection, threats, and persecution, choose, he says, to stand firm for the Lord. Now the picture here is of a soldier remaining at his post no matter what might happen around him. You know, let the enemy attack as he will. But this soldier's orders are clear. Stand firm. Don't give up. Don't run away. Don't surrender. But stand firm to the end, even if it means death. Now this command was necessary back in Bible times because the church at Philippi was being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were being threatened, some were being beaten, and some were even thrown into prison like Paul was presently in prison for his faith in Christ in Rome. Now, we aren't being threatened or arrested, and I, I thank God for that this morning, don't you? Because there are a lot of believers throughout the world that, that are being beaten and thrown in prison for their faith in Christ. But that hasn't happened to us here in America, and we need to be thankful for that. But you know what? When we take a stand for Christ, it could mean rejection for us. It could mean the loss of a friendship. Will we choose not to retreat in those moments but choose to stand firm for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And notice it says here we're to stand firm in the Lord. That simply means that I can't do this in my own power. I can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I wonder this morning, are you, are you relying on the Holy Spirit to give you power to be a witness for your Lord and Savior and to stand firm for Him in the workplace or at school? So right choice number one is instead of retreating, choose to stand firm. Let's read next verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4. Very familiar verse. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. In this verse, Paul, Paul is returning to the theme of the book of Philippians. You know what the theme of the book of Philippians is? It's joy. Choose joy. That's the theme of this little book of the New Testament. And Paul is returning to that theme. And he says, another right decision you might want to make this week is this. Instead of gloom or grumbling or dejection, choose joy. Choose joy. Paul gives us not one, do you see it here in verse 4, but two commands to rejoice. And the object of our rejoicing is to be the Lord. We are to rejoice, it says here, in who? That we won that game the other day? No. We're to rejoice in the Lord. This is actually the second time Paul has given us this command. He also taught us to rejoice in the Lord back in chapter 3, if you look at it, verse 1. And so if we would just concentrate on rejoicing more in the Lord, much of our life, I believe, would fall into place. And this command to rejoice in the Lord is to be, fill, be fulfilled, do you see it, always. It's to be fulfilled always. You're to rejoice in the Lord always. This means in every circumstance. We are to rejoice in the Lord both in the good times and the hard times. But the fact that it's in a command, that it's a command or an imperative here in the original language, shows us that rejoicing in the Lord is, hey, it's not a natural thing to do, is it? It's not a natural thing to do. Perhaps you've seen the cartoon that pictures a middle-aged man, pot-bellied, with a frown on his face, wearing a t-shirt that reads, please don't ask me to have a nice day. Some of you might remember W.C. Fields. He was one of my favorites as a kid growing up. He had this saying that went like this, I start off each day with a smile and get it over with. <laughs> joy is tough. Even Christians struggle with exuding joy, and especially in the midst of a conflict. And that's exactly what's happening here in verses 1 through 5. Of Philippians chapter 4. I don't know how familiar you are with this story, but two ladies in that church at Philippi, their names are Eodia and Synthache, are fighting with each other. But when conflict comes, Paul says, we are to rejoice in the Lord. We are to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of our conflicts or whatever problem or adversity we might be battling. 
and our joy, though, is to be centered in the Lord. People change. Situations change. Bad news comes. But the Lord, we just sang it, remains the same forever and ever. So whatever it is you're struggling with today, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in your relationship with Jesus. Thank Jesus for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he's promised to do. Now listen to me. There, there are gobs of good reasons to rejoice in the Lord today. Just let, let me remind you of a few. Number one, we can rejoice in God today because he's sovereign. And when I say I, I say that he's sovereign, I, that means that, that nothing surprises him. He's in, he's in control of everything. Nothing just happens. And he's in control of everything. And he's going to work it according to his purpose and for his good. We can rejoice in that today. We can also rejoice that God saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, and made us a child of God. We can, we can rejoice today because we can talk to God personally through prayer, and he is listening. And not only is he listening, but he will answer our prayers. may not be the way we wanted him to answer, but he's going to answer. And whatever he answers is going to be the right thing, the good thing. We can also rejoice today because... Death is gain. Think about that with me for a moment. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, what does Paul say? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you just say that with me this morning? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The worst moment of our life is the best moment of our life. Think about that with me for a moment. The moment we lose life, we gain being with Jesus, which is far better than anything in this life. So instead of gloom this week, choose joy. Let's move on. Let's read verses 2 through 5. We're going to get into this conflict. He says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Synthache to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or maybe a better translation of the Greek, your gentleness, let your gentleness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. And so, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but, but Paul moves from sort of the glory of the church to the gore sometimes of the church. He confronts two ladies who are in conflict with each other in the church. And the right choice here is this. Instead of anger, are you listening, church? Are you listening, families, this morning? Instead of anger, choose gentleness. He actually calls these two ladies by name. And that had to be, I was thinking about this the other day, that had to be embarrassing for Iodia and Synthache. 
I mean, these ladies' names have been in Scripture for a long time, and they're going to remain in the Bible for an even longer time. So why did Paul do this? Well, apparently, he is lovingly sending a message, not just to these two ladies, but to the whole church, saying it's important that we choose gentleness and get along with each other in the body of Christ. Now, these two ladies, let me just say it like this, are not pupitatus. Are you with me on this this morning? They are influential ladies and leaders who likely played a prominent role in the planting of the church at Philippi. At the very least, as we read here, they were co-workers with Paul in the advancement of the gospel. And Paul knows that this conflict needs to be dealt with quickly. Otherwise, it will destroy the church and the cause of the gospel. So he confronts them tenderly but directly by first urging them, look at what it says, they're to agree, what does it say? They're to agree in the Lord. And what he's saying is this, you're both at fault. You need to be of the same mind. You need to get together, you need to meet, and you need to talk and work things out. You may have all kinds of differences, but it's important that you live in harmony with each other. Yes, disagree agreeably. You don't need to have uniformity, but you do need to have unity. So get together and talk and work things out in the Lord. Get together and resolve your differences. And then, it's like he calls in the reinforcements here. Do you see it? He asks Clement, most likely an elder in that church at Philippi, to help these women get together and settle their problems. And this again is in the imperative mode here in the Greek. It's a command because a little schism, a little conflict can bring down a whole church. So Paul is saying it's better to nip it in the bud. You know, the grizzly bear is the meanest animal in the forest. Did you know that? It can terminate the life of another creature with just one, one swipe of its paw. But there is one animal that the grizzly bear will not attack. You know who it is? You know what it is? He, even, he has even allowed this animal to share a meal with him even though he's an adversary. The animal I'm talking about is a skunk. The grizzly bear does not like the skunk, but he has decided it's better to coexist with him than to create a stink. <laughs> well, sometimes, sometimes it is better to learn how to get along with the skunk in your life than to fight him and make the situation worse. And that's exactly what I think Paul is getting at in these verses here, especially verse 5. Let's look at it again. Paul says, And let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. In the midst of your conflicts, Paul says, Be gentle. Instead of anger, choose what? Choose gentleness this week. Win your enemies over with gentleness. Do what the book of Proverbs says. You know what the book of Proverbs says? It says, a gentle 
answer, what? Turns away wrath. And so if someone doesn't like you, if someone is out to get you this week, show them gentleness. And the word gentleness literally means, are you ready for this? This is a tough assignment this morning. It means to yield your rights. To yield your rights. We are to give up our right to be right and win. This is not a very good locker room talk right now, is it? It's just the opposite of what a coach would say to his sports team. And so Paul says we're to be known for our gentleness. People are to realize our yieldedness experientially. They should realize that, that we are a people who do not cling to our rights by seeing us in action. And in addition to that, it is likely that Paul's use of the word gentleness echoes Psalm 86, verse 5, where the word gentleness can also mean, listen to this, ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. And ready to forgive conveys the desire or the predisposition to forgive, which I believe Paul also has in mind here when he says, let your gentleness be known to all. Paul wants you and I to be ready to forgive when someone hurts us or our family. He doesn't want us to have a critical, cynical, or angry spirit. He wants us to forgive each other. He wants us to extend grace and mercy to each other. Actually, God the Father is our model here, isn't he? I mean, think about this. No matter how many times I sin against God, he is always ready to forgive. God lavishes unconditional love upon me daily. He zealously yearns to forgive me no matter what I've done. And since God has this kind of love for me and for you, why would I, why would you struggle in forgiving anyone this week? And so Paul says, instead of anger this week, choose gentleness. Next, let's read verses 5 through 7. Paul says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And other good choice this week, another right choice this week is this. Instead of anxiety, choose prayer. Instead of anxiety, instead of worry, choose prayer. Paul says the cure for anxiety is to pray about anything. Instead of anxiety, choose prayer. Verse 6 uses no less, look at it, it uses no less than four different terms for prayer. Do you see that in that verse? The first word is prayer. And that first word, prayer, is a more general term for prayer. It simply means coming into the presence of the Lord. And it carries the idea of our acknowledging God for who he is and what he's done. It speaks of adoration, praise, and worship. We're to enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise, aren't we? 
The second word is supplication. It refers to the earnest sharing of our burdens, needs, and problems with the Lord. It speaks of not what I would call flippant prayers, but prayers that arise out of the heart that our heart felt. It speaks of fervent prayer about the needs and situations and circumstances that are causing us to worry. And then the third word is thanksgiving. Do you see it there? Our praying is to be done with an attitude of thanksgiving. As we approach God with our worries, fears, and burdens, we should do it with a thankful heart. And then the fourth word is the word request. And this word speaks of specific petitions rather than vague and hazy generalities. Too many times, are you listening church? Too many times we pray around the issue but never pray in a detailed specific matter about what's bothering us. We pray general more safe prayers, not pointed prayers that put God to the test. Listen to me, listen to me. We should never be afraid to approach God with the specific needs of our lives and especially the specific needs that are causing us to worry. So Paul makes it really clear here that worry and prayer cannot coexist at the same time. You can either pray or worry, but you can't pray and worry. Are you with me this morning? Let me just say that again. You can either pray or worry, but you can't pray and worry. And what God wants is for you to counter worry this week with prayer instead of anxiety. Choose prayer. And why should we pray about everything? Well, look at the end of verse 5. What does it say there? We're to choose to pray about everything, it says, because the Lord is what? The Lord is near. That means God is near. He is continually present with us. And he wants to help us with our worries. He wants to help us with our anxieties. A man who was dying of cancer wrote these words in his journal just before he passed away, he said, don't miss verse 5. He's talking about this passage here. Don't miss this. Verse 5 is the only reason verses 4, 6, and 7 exist. Why should I rejoice always? How can I be gentle to everyone? Why should I not be anxious about anything? Why should I pray about everything? How can I have peace in every situation? Wow, he writes in his journal. Verse 5 is like a neon sign shining in the dark of night, screaming the answer. Because the Lord is near. And what will the Lord who is near do when we pray about everything, and especially those things that are worrying us? Well, what does it say in verse 7? It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? A peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, it means that this peace is not human. It's not rational. It transcends intellectual powers. It transcends analysis. It transcends man's insights. It transcends man's understanding, man's definition, man's exclamation. It's not human. You don't go to man to get it. You go to God to get it. Did you hear that? 
You don't go to man to get this peace. You go to God to get it. It's a gift from God to the believer who trusts him and prays with thanksgiving in the midst of whatever trial he or she might be going through. And God responds by giving him or her a peace, a supernatural peace. And then notice what this peace does in verse 7. It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard you from what? From anxiety, doubt, fear, distress. Isn't that a great truth? You know, the term will guard is a military term. It literally means it will keep or guard over or protect you. The Philippians lived in a garrison town back in Bible times where Roman soldiers were stationed to watch out for Roman interests in that part of the world. And so they knew what a sentry was. They knew what a guard was. They knew what a garrison was. It's a protector. And what Paul says here is this. If you know your God is near and you confidently trust him in the midst of any trial, knowing that he is working for his purpose, and if you pray, pray specifically wholeheartedly with thanksgiving in the midst of your trial, you will be granted the peace of God. And that peace will guard your heart and mind and protect you from anxiety. The churning inside will be replaced with supernatural peace. Do you believe that promise this morning? I do. Let's move on. Let's read verse 8. There's a couple more choices here for us yet. Paul goes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. So here is still another right choice God is asking you and I to make this week, and it's this. Instead of bad thinking, bad thinking, choose right thinking. I would say that some of us today are stressed out simply because we've been allowing our minds to focus on things that bring us down. Wrong thinking, listen to this, wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings which can lead to wrong living. The opposite is also true. Right thinking leads to right living. What we put into our minds determines what comes out in attitudes and actions. What we believe determines how we behave. Warren Worsby says it like this, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And here's how King Solomon says it in Proverbs 23, verse 7. He says, as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so are they. So some of us are neither joyful nor peaceful today because we allow our thoughts to control our behavior. We allow our negative thoughts to control our behavior. Did you know that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts every day? And that adds up to about three and a half million thoughts in a year. I mean, that's just overwhelming to me. 
And that's why Paul says to us today, instead of bad thinking, choose right thinking. Think about, fixate yourself on, consume yourself with things he says here that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Say, what do all those words mean? Well, whatever's true means those things that are real, genuine, and honest. Whatever is honorable means those things that are noble, dignified, solemn, majestic, and worthy of respect. Whatever is just means those things that are right, upright, and proper. Whatever is pure means those things that are holy, chaste, and undefiled. Whatever is lovely means those things that are pleasing, dear, agreeable, that which calls forth love. Whatever is commendable means those things that are admirable and attractive. And then Paul sort of sums up all six of these filters by saying, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things this week. And so, instead of bad thinking, choose what? Right thinking. Right thinking. One more verse, verse 9. Paul says, and what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's one last right choice for you this week. Instead of stubbornness, stubbornness, choose obedience. Instead of stubbornness towards the Lord and his word, choose obedience to God and his word. Paul asked the Philippians this question, did you learn something from me? Did you receive from my instruction? Have you heard what I've been saying? Have you seen my example? Then, then just do it. Just do it. And the same word applies, I think, to us. We don't just come to church to listen and leave, do we? Amen? Come on, let's get excited this morning. We don't come to church just to listen and leave. No, we come so that our lives will be changed, right? Changed spiritually. And so Paul says to us today, take what you have learned from Philippians 4 and just put it into practice. Instead of being old, an old, stubborn guy or gal, choose to be obedient. Choose to be obedient. And what will be the result? What does it say there? The God of peace will be with you. That's it, folks. Nothing beats that. Verse 8 spoke about the peace of God, which was wonderful enough, right? But I would rather have the God of peace than the peace of God. Fortunately, we don't have to choose between the two. They're actually related because only God's presence brings God's peace. Only God's presence brings God's peace. And so, do you want to know God's presence and peace in your life this week? then put these things into practice. Instead of stubbornness, choose obedience. So as we close this morning, let me just ask, would you choose to think and choose right this next week? Would you choose to stand firm? Would you choose to rejoice in the Lord always? Would you choose to let your gentleness your yieldedness, your forgiveness, known to all? Would you pray about everything instead of worrying about everything? 
And would you just think right thoughts? Things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Your word is truth. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we just need to be making better choices. I pray, Lord, that you'd help all of us to do that this week. Uh, when we have an opportunity to witness and maybe know that it might cause a little rejection or to be pushed outside of a friendship circle, help us not to retreat but to stand firm. Lord, I pray that instead of being gloomy this week and down and discouraged, that you'd help us to rejoice in the Lord always. And when conflict arises, Lord, this week, help us, help us not to get angry. Help us to keep that anger under control. Help us to choose gentleness, to yield our rights, to forgive that person. And Lord, when we're, when we're tempted to be anxious and fearful, help us to pray about whatever's bugging us, whatever causing that worry. And I pray that you'd give us the peace of God in those moments. And Lord, Forgive us for allowing our minds to be filled with all kinds of rubbish and bad things. And help us, Lord, to use this filter that we have in the scriptures here this week. Help us to think on things that are true, that are just, that are holy, that are pure, that are loving. Oh God, take away the bad thoughts and fill our minds with good thoughts, right thoughts. And God, Above all, I pray that, that you would just help us to quit being stubborn in our relationship with you and to just be obedient this week, Lord, to just do it. We know we can't do it alone, though, Lord, so we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon each of us and give us the want to and the power to obey. Oh, God. Help us to make good choices this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.